Hey everyone, my name's Hank, Digital Pastor here at the Foundry Church. We just want to say thank you for tuning in to our sermon series podcast. We're an awesome series now where we are exploring gospel wisdom in a new series that we're calling Uncommon. We really hope that this time blesses you and that you have an awesome time listening in and checking in with us here in Central Florida. If you're looking for a church family or if you're a part of our church family already, we would love to connect with you more online. You can head to our website, www.thefoundry.org. That's www.thefoundry.org. Or you can find us on social media, specifically our Facebook page and our Facebook group are great ways to get connected with us. So we're going to hand it off now to Seth as we jump in to today's message in our series, Uncommon. Thanks for listening. Good morning, friends and family. Welcome to The Foundry, where we are all about a better you and a better world. My name is Seth, and whether you're joining us in person or in the worldwide interwebs, I'm so very glad you're here. Uh, We are in week three of our series called Uncommon. We're looking at this like alternative gospel wisdom, this thing that kind of runs against the grain, that's kind of counterintuitive to, alter, uh, to like uh, traditional or um, conventional wisdom, and it's been pretty awesome. I do need to start by apologizing. Um, after the loss of the Gators this weekend, I feel like I need to apologize to the Ohio State fans and the Florida State fans that I've made fun of for the past couple weeks and I hope that you, <laughs> and I hope that you will accept my apologies and forgive me. We've all been put in our place. Uh, next, uh, we got two weeks of this series, and then the following week we begin. It's like three weeks from now we begin our Christmas series. Christmas is upon us. We're calling it the Everywhere of Christmas. I'm really excited about it. Uh, we're doing. It's going to be a lot of new stuff that we've never really talked about, and we're going to be looking at some of like the ancient practices of Christmas and how they came to be. We're going to be looking at how like uh, Christmas is kind of tied to the idea of the winter solstice and the shortest day of the year, and how it's out of the darkness that new hope is birthed, and it's going to be awesome. I'm really excited for it. We're going to talk about things like um, inverting our understanding of what a day is and how that ties to the gospel story, the story of Christmas. It's going to be great stuff. I hope that you make plans to be here for that. So this week, week three, last week we talked about the strength of weakness. This week we're talking about uh, some really fun stuff where (laughs) where we're going to talk about how like it's five o'clock somewhere and yeah, and... (laughs) Uh, that's a dangerous phrase, isn't it? It's five o'clock somewhere. And about how God is entirely unfair. So good stuff. So growing up, um, I have a younger brother who's about four years younger than me. Uh, we grew up in church. My dad was a preacher, all this stuff. We had uh, two, we each had a friend. That was it. My parents paid him. It was great. Uh, we each, we had two brothers that were friends of ours. So it was Nathan and Timothy Head. And Nathan was my friend. He was my age. Timmy was Caleb's friend. He was his age. And we would always, we were at church together. We were at school together for a little bit, always hanging out, doing stuff. Our families were close. Um, at one point, when we were somewhere in middle school t- age bracket, uh, we we had a sleepover, so Timmy and Nathan came over to stay with me and Caleb. So on that Saturday morning, we got up, and my dad came to me and Nathan. He said, hey, boys, I'll make you a deal. He said, listen, if you go out in the front yard into the flower bed, and if you pick the weeds out of the front flower bed, I'll take you up to 7-Eleven, and I'll get you a Slurpee and a candy bar. 
And we said, great, that sounds like an awesome deal. Like, what better thing would you want to do with your Saturday? I mean, so, so we started working, and we're out there, like, sweating it out, you know, throughout the day. We get to lunch. We take our lunch break. We get back to the picking of the weeds off. <laughs> we didn't realize at the time that, like, three bucks would have covered our eight hours of labor or whatever, you know. But So we do this whole thing. And so we're on, like, the downhill side of this weed-picking excursion, and we're anticipating the Slurpee and the candy bar. Like, we can taste it on our lips. And then out of the house comes Caleb and Timmy. And they had been inside this whole time where we're sweating it up in the garden. They'd been inside playing video games, doing whatever they were doing, not working. So they come out, they start helping. They help for like 10 or 15 minutes. And then uh, we get done and my dad goes, okay, let's go to 7-Eleven. So we all go to 7-Eleven. I get my Slurpee and my candy bar. I'm really excited about it. We're standing in line and I notice that my brother and Timmy also have a candy bar and a Slurpee which is the same thing that I got, right? And so this, was, this made me a bit upset because I said, Dad, this is entirely unfair. We worked all day long and they are getting the same thing that we're getting. And he said, well, what's unfair about it? And I said, well, we worked like way longer. They didn't do as much stuff. And so like we should, if that's what they're getting, we should at least get like a couple of candy bars or two Slurpees or something. Like you have to make it like right between us. And my dad said, well, but didn't you shake on it that you would work for a Slurpee and a candy bar. And we said, yeah. And he said, well, what's in your hand? And I said, a Slurpee and a candy bar. And he said, so what's the problem? Well, it's not fair, Dad. It's not fair. Like, why would you give them that? And I worked all day, right? And I don't know if my dad had planned it all along or if he was just making it up as he went, but this is the problem with your dad being a preacher, is that he would enact parables of Jesus into my life (laughs) whether I wanted it or not. I didn't realize, I was just so frustrated at him at the time, I didn't realize that we were actually role-playing the parable of the vineyard worker, right? And so when we, we're gonna look at the story of the parable of the vineyard worker, Matthew chapter 20. When we read through this, trust me when I tell you I totally side with the angry workers because it's so frustrating. It's so absolutely frustrating. Like, they didn't deserve what they got. I should have got more than they got. This is the problem with your dad being a preacher. Yeah. I haven't done this with my kids yet. I've been looking for, like, situations. Like, what parables can I trick my kids into? So I, don't, I think I'm not as smart as my dad is, so I'm working on it. I'm gonna take some tips. All right, so Matthew chapter 20. Let's look at this story. Let's go through this, the parable of the vineyard workers, or as I like to call it, the parable of me and Nathan and Timmy and Caleb. Um, and we're gonna kind of go through this and look at some things. And, and, and uh, it, this to me is an absolutely amazing parable. Okay, so it starts like this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So let's pause there for a second and realize this first line. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. So he's not describing our world. He's not describing how things work here. He's not describing rules. He's not describing religion. He's describing something entirely uh, different. He, he's talking about the nature of God, the nature and the character of God and his kingdom, okay? So he says, this that we're about to read is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So a denarius is like a a day's wage for a day's work. This is a fair price. You work a day, this is what you make. Everything's good there. Okay, Uh, about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. 
He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. So he starts with these guys in the morning, a denarius, right? That's what they're gonna get. They say, okay. Then you have the nine o'clock, the noon, and the three o'clock guys. He says, I'll pay you what's fair. Okay, let's keep moving. <clears throat> about five in the afternoon, he went out, five in, uh, next, let's, yeah, yeah. Five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. You also go and work in my vineyard. So this group is the group that's a bit curious. The five o'clock group. What kind of guys are still waiting around at five o'clock to get hired for a job, right? They're, they're probably one of two things. They're either very desperate or they're like the people that nobody else wanted. Okay, and, and either one could be the case. In this time, first century Israel, you have this extreme amount of taxation. People are struggling to pay their bills or struggling to provide for their families. So it could be that they are desperate. It could be that they're also like the rejects, the people that didn't get picked. These are the guys that uh, no one picked for kickball, right? They're the bench warmers of the team. There's something wrong with them. Maybe, maybe it's one, maybe it's other, maybe it's, maybe it's both. Either way, he goes to these guys and says, go and work in my vineyard. The five o'clock guys, the guys that nobody wanted, the guys that nobody hired, go work for the landowner. Remember, Jesus is telling a parable that starts with, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. He's trying to inform us, trying to open our eyes, our minds, trying to help us understand the nature and the character of God. Verse eight, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. This is an odd decision if you're the landowner, right? This is the guy who's in charge. He's calling the shots. He's the one making all the decisions, and he intentionally wants to pay the guys that got hired last first. He makes a point of this. This is entirely on purpose. Verse 9, the workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Again, a denarius is a day's wage for a day's work, and they received the same amount as the guys who were hired first in the morning. So when those, who, uh, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. So the guys who come to work uh, first, they're, they're a bit ticked. They worked the longest, they did the most work. They got paid the exact same amount as the guys who barely worked at all. This is me and Nathan standing in 7-Eleven holding our Slurpees and our candy bars and getting very, very frustrated at my father who gave my brother and Nathan's brother the exact same thing as us. So I know the frustration. You can't possibly pay them the same amount. That's not fair. Stop. I need more or they need less. Now, going back to verse eight, when the vineyard, worker, uh, vineyard owner says, pay the last ones first, it's an odd decision, right? Again, he's calling the shots. He does this intentionally. 
Because the vineyard owner, he could have avoided all the conflict and all the frustration with the people that were working for him if he would have just paid them in the order that he hired them. If the guys that worked first came and he paid them first, they would have gone home and been none the wiser. They would have no idea what the last guys got paid, right? So it's almost like he's doing this on purpose because he wants them to see something. He wants them to see something about who the vineyard owner is is. He wants them to understand something about this guy. And, and, it, and it's this very odd, very strange story in which it's entirely unfair. If they would have just gone home, if he would have done it the normal way, they would have never, uh, ne never been aware of what was happening. Now watch what the landowner says to the guys who are upset. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I wanna give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So everyone got paid the same amount. Everyone got paid the same amount of money, but everyone didn't do the same amount of work which in our normal understanding of life and how things function, this is entirely unfair. That's not how the world works. This is, this is outrageous. They didn't do the same amount. That's not how it should go. That's not fair. You work eight hours, you get paid eight hours. You work five hours, you get paid five hours. Not you work one hour, you get paid eight hours. That's not fair. It's a strange story. It's different. It's odd. It's confrontational. Right, this confronts all of my thinking in 7-Eleven going, it's not fair. This steps into that and it challenges conventional wisdom. This parable is about a vineyard owner who is entirely unfair. And this is the gospel wisdom of like the whole thing. This is why it's, it's so important. This is why this is so profound. It's not an unfairness that's rooted in a sense of scarcity that somebody didn't get what they deserved. It's an unfairness rooted in generosity that some guys, most of the guys, in fact, got more than they deserved. Think about it. He hires the first guys first for a day's work for a day's wage for Daenerys. That's fair. The story starts completely fair. And then with each additional group, the 9 o'clock, the 12 o'clock, the 3 o'clock, the 5 o'clock, that are working less but making the same amount, which means they're actually making, making a much, much higher wage. It becomes more and more unfair as the story progresses because the landowner is now becoming more and more and more generous. In fact, it's so unfair that the vineyard owner hires the five o'clock workers, the people that nobody else wanted, the, the, the potentially desperate and overlooked people, and he says, come work for me. He's ultimately the most generous with the ones that everyone else has left behind. It's completely unfair, but it's an unfairness that's rooted in this deep, deep, deep generosity. They got way more than they ever deserved. And according to Jesus, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. So the question for us then is like, well, how do you think of God? How, how do you think of 
like the kingdom of heaven? What is your understanding of the divine? Is God one of equal pay for equal work, that everything is just and fair? Or is God one of this beauty of that which is completely unfair? One that is a picture of an ever more giving and ever more generous God. Or maybe the question is for us, like what kind of life do you wanna live? What kind of life do you wanna align yourself with? Do you wanna align yourself with the values and principles of this world in which your worth and your value is tied to what you do and what you can accomplish? Or, or, or one in which you wanna align yourself with these alternative kind of upside down values and principles of the kingdom. Jesus is not describing the world as we know it. He's saying if you want to understand love, if you want to understand spirit, if you want to understand this God and what this God is like, he's like a landowner who hired everyone at different times and then paid everyone the same amount. And it's completely unfair, but it's an unfairness that's rooted in this deep generosity. This whole thing is about us having a much larger picture, a much larger understanding of who God is and what God is like. It's a ridiculous story, especially from the perspective of the world. It doesn't make sense. What kind of wealthy person would operate like this? Oh, just give them more. Give them extra Give them more than what they worked for. Give them more than what they deserve. It doesn't, it's not how the world works. So this story is not only bizarre and strange and weird, not only does it confront like our dominant thinking patterns of how we understand things to function, it, it's also kind of in an interesting place within the context of Matthew. Okay, so if you, I wanna look at two stories that sit on either side of this. Because what you'll see in, is in Matthew chapter 19 and later in Matthew chapter 20, there's two stories that... Um, that this sits between that make this parable even more telling. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 19, the one before chapter 20, the, the, the story that immediately precedes Matthew chapter 19, or Matthew chapter 20 in the parable of the vineyard owner, is the story of the rich young man. Do you know this story? Uh, this rich guy, he comes to Jesus and he says like, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you gotta follow the rules, do the law, that sort of thing. And he says, oh, I've already done that. What else do I need to do? He says this. Jesus answered the guy, if you wanna be perfect, keep in mind, we know that word perfect is the word teleos, which means complete, right? We're not looking for this perfection of I checked all the boxes, we're looking for a sense of completeness and wholeness. If you wanna be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, a couple things about this. The first thing is, this verse is kind of funny to me. This passage has always been a bit humorous to me because a lot of times in church what you have is people that take the Bible and the, the highest goal of interpreting and understanding the Bible is like having a literal translation, right? So over here, Jesus says do this and then we go, okay, he said that so we have to do this, this, and this and do the little checklist. But then when you come to a passage like this, this causes problems for like hyper-literal people because then we read this, we go, well, he didn't really mean sell everything. <laughs> this is like a condition of the heart. Like over here, yeah, yeah, you have to do exactly this, but this, uh, it's more like what's happening inside of you, right? So it causes problems for people. Anyways, so you look at this passage, in this world of ranking and earning and acquiring and status, Jesus says to a guy, the rich young man, a guy who is a picture of somebody who's winning the game, remember we talked about this last week, a picture of a guy who is winning the game, and he says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. 
It says the man walks away sad because he has great wealth. It's an interesting detail. He's sad because of his great wealth. Jesus understands how quickly and easily we get attached to stuff, doesn't he? He understands how quickly and easily we get caught up in the game and attaching our our value and our identity to what we own, to our possessions. So Jesus is inviting this man to be free from all of that, and the man walks away sad. I was thinking about this detail. Why does he include sad? Like, he could have just said the man walked away. Maybe there'd be too much speculation. Oh, he was angry. He was upset. He was mad. He thought it was stupid. That's a dumb idea. Maybe he came back to it later. But as I thought about it, I thought, well, maybe, maybe the reason he's, he's sad, maybe the reason they include this detail is because in this moment, he understands that the very thing that he actually wants, this freedom, this eternal life, this thing that he wants will require this great sacrifice on his part, which will require him to step away from the game that he has been winning and finds his identity in. And so he's, he's so attached to all that he has, it's so much a part of him that he knows he won't be able to do the thing that Jesus is asking of him. So he walks away sad because now everything that he has acquired, this great wealth that he has amassed, Everything that he now owns, now owns him. He's a bit sad about it. He will never experience the freedom that his heart and his soul actually desires. So you have this story of the rich young man who walks away sad in chapter 19, immediately followed by the parable of the vineyard workers. Then Jesus predicts his death. Then in chapter 20 as well, verse 20, you have uh, a story about the mother of James and John, two of the disciples, their mom, comes to Jesus with request. This is what we see, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, she doesn't even get named, by the way, right? Like, if you're the mom, like... Come on, give me some credit. He didn't do anything. Anyways, the mother of Zebedee's son came to Jesus with her sons and asked, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. That's a great line, by the way, isn't it? You don't even know what you're asking here. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. So what is mom doing here in this situation? Mom is still playing the game. She assumes that Jesus is still playing the game. She assumes that he's establishing this kingdom and it's gonna be like every other kingdom that she's known and been a part of where the goal is to like earn and climb and strive. And and so she comes to him with her sons looking for him to elevate the status of her Sons, give them a position of power. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. My kingdom is not like any of these other kingdoms you've ever experienced. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? The cup that he's going to drink is the one where he stands up for the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. The cup that he's going to drink is the one where he's fighting back against the institutions that are only serving themselves rather than serving others. The cup that he's going to drink is going to put him at odds and make him a threat to the entire system in which he will be murdered for it. You don't know what you're asking for. I'm not doing what you think I'm doing. So in this culture that's based on ranking and hierarchy and earning, we see a story of a rich young man who's attached to his possessions so much so that he walks away sad at the invitation to be free. And then you have the story of the mom who's trying to help her boys keep climbing the ladder. 
And then between these two stories, these stories that are pictures of the dominant thinking of that time as well as our time, in between these you have the story that Jesus tells about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And there's this vineyard owner, and he hires some guys that nobody else wanted. He hires them at five o'clock, and then he pays them the same amount as he paid the guys who had been working all day. It's not fair. It's interesting, why is that story in between these two stories? Well, maybe it's because we know these stories, don't we? We live these stories. This is common, this is what happens every day. And so he interjects this story that's completely opposite of how the rich young man and how the mom is trying to operate. He interjects a story that's completely opposite of how we often think about what it means to have value and worth and how we do that. And it's this beautiful little upside down picture that shows us something entirely different. Shows us that there is more to life than these things that we're doing, these games that we're playing. Maybe even clues us into this idea that while everybody else is trying to out there, trying to earn and prove and do whatever, that God is kind of sitting back and smiling at us. Like maybe even winking at us a little bit, like, I love you all the same. What are you doing? You don't have to earn it. Hey, all you people that think your efforts are actually doing something, they're not. Even the guys who got hired at five o'clock, they got paid the same. I mean, think about what you know about God. We know that God is love. We know that God is infinite. We know that God is eternal, right? Infinity isn't something that can be less than what it is. Love isn't something that, that can be less than the fullness of what it is. You can't divide that which is infinite. It's impossible, right? Maybe a simple way to think of it's like this. So in my pocket, on this rare occasion, I have a $20 bill. Yeah, normally it goes to my wife and kids, but I snuck it out of the house. <laughs> this $20 bill can only be $20. It can't be less than $20. It can't be less than the fullness of what it is. It can only be this. If I take this and I take it to a store and I buy something for $10 and I get $10 back, I only have $10, but they have my $20 and this $20 is worth how much? $20. And if I hand this to you, it's $20. If I hand it to you, it's $20. This can only be the fullness of what it is, right? It can't be anything less than the fullness of itself, not ever. No matter how many times it circulates through the economy, no matter how many wallets and hands and purses it exchange, it will always be the fullness of itself at $20, right? So this parable in which Jesus is telling about what the kingdom of heaven is like, this vineyard owner who is the stand-in for God, the one who is love, the one who is infinite, the one who can't be divided, who can't be less than the fullness of God's self. Well, then, of course, of course, if you can't divide the infinite, if this can't be less than what it is, and no matter what I spend it on, it will always give this value, of course, when Jesus tells this story, the vineyard owner who is a stand-in for God gives them all the same because you can't give less than what he is. 
He can only give the fullness of what he is. This is a picture of what God is and who God, what God is like. God is love. God is generous. God is infinite. And you cannot divide the infinite. For Jesus to tell a parable in which the, sto- in which the vineyard owner gives to each person according to what they deserve would be to undermine and minimize the nature and the character of God. It would be to devalue the infinite. Can't do it. And and so to me, this is the absolute beauty and the wonder of gospel wisdom is that everything we have is this completely unmerited and unwarranted gift because God can't be less than what God is. God can't give less than the fullness of himself. And this ridiculously unfair gift and this radical generosity of God is revealed the most to those who might consider themselves to be the five o'clock hires. Each, uh, everything works differently in the kingdom. Everything works differently in the empire of love. In the kingdom, the outcasts, the rejects, the losers, the failures, we all belong. We who are not good enough. We who can't do things right. We all belong. All of us who have made a mess of the lives that we are trying to live, we all belong. If you've ever felt like it's five o'clock and no one wants to hire you and you felt like a failure, it's in your five o'clockness. It's in all the ways that you don't measure up. It's in all the ways that you're not the best. It's in these moments. This is exactly where God meets you and says, it's gonna be okay. I want you to come work for me, and I want you to know and trust that I will take care of you the same way as I take care of everybody else. Are you starting to see why this alternative gospel wisdom, it's so very compelling, it's so very inviting. Are you starting to see why this may be difficult for us to actually wrap our heads around because it's so different, it's so backwards. That's not how it's supposed to work in our world and in our kingdom. You should get paid what you work. You get paid what you deserve. You don't get more for doing less. That's not, that's unfair. Are you seeing seeing why this is difficult maybe for us, even people who believe what all this stuff is saying? I wonder sometimes, do we actually believe it enough to accept it? Right, this whole way of thinking, this, this kingdom logic runs completely counter to the logic of the world and it's difficult for us to wrap our head around sometimes. So the rich young ruler comes and says, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, sell all your stuff and, and he can't do it. Mom comes to Jesus and says, hey, give my son's power, give him status, give him a place to, to, to be. And in a world saturated with kingdom, he tells, them, he tells this story between these two things saying like, this kingdom is different. You don't know what you're asking. This kingdom doesn't work the way you, th- this kingdom is something that's among you. It's, it's within you, it's a part of you. It's this present reality that's happening in this time and space, but you can be a part of it, but just be aware that it's completely unlike anything you've ever experienced before. It's backwards, it's upside down. It might not even make sense to you, but man, is it a beautiful, beautiful thing. You see, and when you start to see this, when you start to see how backwards and upside down and how beautiful the kingdom of heaven actually is, how it actually operates, when you start to compare that to like the kingdoms of the world that we are so very familiar with, it should cause us like maybe to lighten up a little bit. Lighten up. You're out there trying to earn and prove and do and make a name for yourself and God's like, but everybody's getting paid the same. Like, what are you doing? Take, take, like, 
There's a bit of a lightness to this, like hold it a little bit looser. You don't have to take yourself so seriously. Think about it. The kingdom of the world about getting, right? About, about striving, about earning, about climbing, about acquiring, making something of the self. And then gospel wisdom comes along and says, actually, it's your death that saves you. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> That's not what I thought this whole thing was, was, was doing. It's like God's going like all the stuff that you keep doing that you think is doing something, it's not. It's your death that saves you. All those little things inside you say, I have to do more, improve myself, and earn something, whatever, whatever. Like, I have to be the strongest, the best, the fastest. And God's like, oh, by the way, it's in your weakness that you find everything you need. Oh, well, I have to get my resume and do the best and do this so I can get the job, so I can get the money, so I can do, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I pay all the five o'clock people the same as you. Right? Jesus tells this insane story, this insane story about this ridiculous generosity in which the vineyard owner is the stand-in for God and what the kingdom of heaven is like, and it's almost like there's this bit of lightness to the whole thing. There's a bit of playfulness. It's like last week we talked about my wife. She ran, she ran the 18-mile like, uh, trail race, whatever, the elevation and this rough terrain. Right? She does this great feat. She's awesome, whatever, and then we come home, and it's like my kids coming, coming out to her and going, hey, mom, I'm going to run her lap around the house. Right, like they're trying to prove something to her. She just ran 18 miles. Your little lap is like nothing. That's like it's literally nothing to her. But they do it because they're trying to earn something. They're trying to show off to their mom, whatever. Right? It, it's it's cute. It's like oh, you're sweet. Like you think you're impressing your mom who just ran 18 miles through the mountains. Like what are you doing? It's it's nothing. It's cute. That's great. But your mom loves you anyways. You didn't have to do that. If you want to run, sure, have fun. But don't think that you need to do that in order to prove something because it's not working. She loves you anyways. Run because your mom loves you. Run because of the joy of running. Run because it's fun. Like, lighten up. You don't have to make the lap around the house. You can for fun, but you don't have to because your mom already loves you. Right? So what do we do? How do, how do we stop the endless, exhausting, relentless cycle of trying to earn and improve and find our value in what we do? How do we step into like kingdom reasoning and logic? How do we embrace this? Well, maybe it's, it's a lot more simple than you think in theory. The practice is always difficult, but in theory, it's, it's not that difficult. Maybe, maybe what we do in light of this whole thing, this whole kingdom, what it's like, this unfairness that's rooted in this generosity, Maybe all we really have to do is practice celebrating the unfairness. Like celebrating the unfairness. When you celebrate the unfairness, it's like you're a part of the joke. It's like you're the parent watching your kid run around the house and go, yeah, 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 that's fun. Isn't that cool? Like you're not earning anything, but it's awesome. Like let me, let me give you a hug. I still love you. You're, you're a part of the joke. You're a part of the thing that's happening, so you can laugh along with it. You celebrate the unfairness. Right? Like when me and Nathan are standing in the 7-Eleven holding the Slurpee and the candy bar, and what I'm doing is getting really frustrated that Timmy and Caleb have the same candy bar and the same Slurpee for not working as much, if I would have had the insight at 12, <laughs> as, <laughs> if I would have had the insight, rather than getting upset at them for getting what they got, maybe I should realize how beautiful it is that my father is so very generous. And maybe I should celebrate that I am the child of a father who is that generous. And maybe I should celebrate that I have been his child the whole time. You celebrate the unfairness. You celebrate the unfairness. I have a buddy I was talking to the other day, and um, I was just catching up. How's it going? What's going on? How's things? How's life? Whatever. And he was like, oh, 
yeah, it's pretty good, I guess. It was all, it was all very kind of like negative sounding, but he was saying like positive things, but in a negative tone, which kind of threw me off a little bit. He's like, yeah, it's fine. I, uh, I got, uh, had this thing happen, that thing happen. Uh, I signed with a book publisher. I did this. And I was like, wait, what? Like, you, you signed with a book publisher? I didn't know you were doing, I, tell me about that. What's happening? Why do you sound depressed about all this stuff? Like, and so I just kind of called him out. Like, what, what's your problem? And he's like, well, you know, sometimes I just, I feel like I've had, a, I've been very blessed in my life. And so uh, when I tell other people about it, I feel like, people who haven't maybe been blessed as much as me, then I feel bad because they haven't received. Like, and I'm like, what the? And I was like, dude, that's garbage. Cut that garbage out. But as I think about it, what he's expressing is an understanding of how the world works. He was blessed, some other people were not. Now there's this tension because they didn't get the things that he got. Do you know what I'm saying? And to me, I'm like, no, bro, that's the opposite of how it should work. Like, I'm your friend. Let me support you. Let me be excited with you. Let's party together. Like, let me be on your team. What are you doing? I don't want to play the comparison game. Is it unfair that you've had more opportunities? By the world standard, yeah, maybe. But that's awesome. Like, I'm not trying to operate according to the kingdom of this world. I'm trying to operate according to the kingdom of heaven. And I want to celebrate the generosity because the heavenly father that blessed you is also my heavenly father. We, we have the same heavenly father, which means we're connected to the same amount of blessing and same amount of generosity. Like, that's amazing. Let me be a part of that. When you learn to celebrate the unfairness, there's a great deal of freedom because by celebrating the unfairness, I'm free from playing the comparing and earning game. I'm free from the pity party of what I didn't get game. I'm free, I'm free from seeing their blessing, other people's blessings, as an attack on what I don't have. I want good for him. I want good for others. When you start celebrating the goodness that comes other people's way, it will actually help to lighten up your life as well. When you celebrate the unfairness, you celebrate the unfairness because you're grateful for the unfairness that has already come your way. When you celebrate unfairness, you're celebrating the generosity of your heavenly father, the one whose family you are already a part of. Why would I not want them to have good? The first workers are grumbling against the vineyard owner. And the vineyard owner says, are you envious because I'm generous? Are you envious because I'm generous? God can't be anything less than the fullness of God's self. You can't divide the infinite. So the choice for us is either we accept that we're accepted in all of our five o'clockness or not. We either accept that we're accepted in all of our lacking and all of our messes or not. And if you can't accept that you're already accepted, then you're setting yourself up for a pretty miserable kind of life. A life in which you're going to have to keep playing the game. A life in which you're going to have to keep proving to find value. But if you can accept that you are accepted, then you're free to see the whole thing as a gift. If you can accept that you're accepted, not because of anything you've done, but because of the generous landowner then you're free to be free. You're, you're free to live with more passion. You're free to live, to laugh more. You're free to, to, to let things go. You're free to step into the fullness of the life that Jesus has come to offer.
In the sacred words of Alan Jackson and Jimmy Buffett, it's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> we all have this five o'clockness to us, don't we? The areas that we don't measure up, the areas we fail, the areas we aren't good enough. And it's in that five o'clockness that he says, come, come work for me. And according to the parable of Jesus, it's our five o'clockness that we experience the completely unfair generosity of the God who is love. And that, my friends, is the uncommon and unorthodox beauty of gospel wisdom. I think we can all relate to those five o'clockers in that story. And we have this incredible opportunity and privilege to pass on the, the generosity, pass on the unfairness that we have received. We can be a part of, of reclaiming God's intended reality by, by letting people in and by living our lives as an example and as a reflection and as a testimony of that generosity that we've received. That we get access to a relationship with Jesus that he died so that we could know him. We're going to move into a time of, of reflection and response this morning. I want us as a church to be reflecting on that generosity that we've received, that unfair generosity that we benefit from. And what that means to each of us, what that means as an opportunity for us to get to know, get, get, get to experience that relationship with God and what that means with how we treat those around us. How can we continue to amplify that story that's been going on for, for thousands and thousands of years of this unfair generosity that we get access to? We're going to take a moment here in the building to enter into a time of communion. We do this every week here at the Foundry. Communion is an awesome is an awesome opportunity to reflect on this. You know, the bread represents Christ's body, the juice his blood. It's the way that we get to experience that generosity even today. So as we take part in that together as a church, I hope you reflect on that. And remember that it's be, that it's only because of Jesus that we get access to this generosity. If you're watching online with us this morning, you may not have the juice and the bread with you. We hope that this will lead to some conversations with your life group or your family or your friends that you're watching with. You may not be able to, to take these bread and juice with us here in this building, but we hope that this will lead you to, to a time of reflection and conversation and an opportunity for you to reflect as well. So I'm gonna pray for us as we get ready to enter into this time. If you would, whether you're here in the room, joining us online, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you that we get to experience our relationship with you through the generosity that you give to us each and every single day. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to, to know you and to be with you. Lord, let our lives be different because of that generosity. Let's not take that for granted. Let's carry that with us Holy each and every single day. 
into our homes, into our workplaces, into our schools, into our neighborhoods, so that we can be a part of continuing to tell that story, passing on the generosity that you have given to us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, everybody. It's Hank one more time. Thanks again for tuning in and listening to this awesome series that we've been in, Uncommon. Our hope and our prayer is that you can listen to these messages and take away from them a new perspective on the truths and the ideas and the concepts that we talked about so that you can live your life in a little bit of a different way than you did before. We really are glad to have so many of you who participate and engage with us in our online platforms and through our online messages. Again, if you want to learn more about us and who we are as a church, and you want to learn more about what it means to reclaim God's intended reality for your life and creating a better you and a better world, head to our website. That's www.thefoundry.org. Again, that's www.thefoundry.org. Look for our awesome Facebook group as well, which is a great place to connect with people who are part of our church, both here in Central Florida and abroad. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next time.